We're going to get into the last church. We've been looking at the messages to the seven churches. Messages to the seven churches in Revelation. And we are on the last one, Laodicea. And Laodicea gets a bad rap sometimes. And, and probably uh, we, we find the situation to be very typical in a lot of the church in America and in the world, unfortunately. And it's a, a disturbing message, and yet I think you will find today that uh, as well as disturbing, it can be quite encouraging as well in a special way. And we'll look at that. But let's read through it to begin with. It starts in uh, verse 14, Revelation 3, verse 14. It says, To the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I would wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked." I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. As many as I love are rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would speak now uh, to us, help our hearts to be softened and to have the eyes of our understanding opened that we may, may understand and know you in greater measure and to be in sync with what you're doing in our lives, in the world, and with the Holy Spirit, Lord, activating your word. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, one of the themes that we've seen in these churches is that appearances can be deceiving, right? Right? Uh, sometimes it looks one way. We, we learned that sometimes it looks like everything's going great and you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. And so what constitutes life? Life, life is in worshiping the Lord. Life is in growing in him. And life is in more than just what you see in the natural and what you feel in the natural. It's, it's what the Spirit says to the churches. Are we going with what the Spirit says? And to know what the Spirit says, you have to have spiritual ears to hear and and spiritual eyes to perceive things the way God wants us to perceive things. In, in this world, we are unfortunately inundated with false appearances. And it's almost daily we encounter them. You ever order something and it's not quite what you thought it was according to the picture or, or to the description? I remember I ordered a supplement once, this nice-looking bottle with fancy label and everything, and it told me I was going to have more energy and I was going to have clarity of thinking and I was going to be awake more and all that. And uh, first of all, I got the package in the mail and it was this little tiny bottle. And it was like the picture made it look a little, what, what's this little tiny bottle? And then all the promises that it made, it didn't really uh, 
happen quite the same way. And uh, I don't know if you experienced that. Did you have cereal this morning? Anybody have cereal this morning? You ever, anybody ever have cereal? You ever notice that the cereal box lies to you? The cereal box shows these wonderful, flaky, puffy uh, grains and, and the milk splashing in the bowl and the fruit and stuff, and then you open it up and you're ready for it, and it's just these... <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't quite look the way uh, it was appearing on the box. And so we have that all the time. We have to deal with that. And Jesus, you recall the story, Jesus saw the fig tree, and he came to the fig tree. There was an appearance that it would have fruit, and he found there was no fruit on it, and that was it. He cursed that fig tree. Well, he comes to the Laodicean church, and you know he wants to find something, and he finds, wait a second, this is, this is not good at all. There's no fruit here. It's, you're miserable, blind, poor, and naked. But there's a difference, you know, with the fig tree, he comes to find no fruit and he curses it. He comes to the church, his people, and he doesn't come to curse us, but to correct us. So there's the first ray of hope, actually, that the Lord doesn't just throw you out the minute he sees something wrong. The Lord doesn't just write you off because there's nothing desirable in you and that you haven't measured up. The Lord comes and because he cares, because he loves, he doesn't curse us, but he'll give us correction. So in these messages to the seven churches, most of the time it's, it's I've got some good news and some bad news. In, in this particular case, it, there's no good news to be had. It's only bad news. But the bad news is given for a reason, because he wants to correct us. He wants us to be awakened to it. And he calls himself in verse 14... I am the amen and the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. So who is it that wants to correct us? The amen. Amen, what does it mean when you say amen? It means so be it. It's verified. It's good. And I'm in line with that. It's right. Jesus is the amen of God. He's in line with God. He wants us to become little amens where whatever God says, amen. Whatever God wants us to do, amen. Let's Let's be amens like Jesus. Amen. And, amen, thank you. Perfect. And then he's faithful and true. And here he was being faithful and true. He cannot be faithless and false. The church can. He comes to the church in this passage, a church that is uh, fleshly and false. And yet he remains the faithful and true witness. Whatever we go through, whatever dips we have, he will still be faithful and true. He's true. He's not going to lie to you like the cereal box. He's not going to be the ad that promises everything and can't come through with it. In fact, what he promises, you get more than you ever dreamed of or expected or bargained for. And that's exciting stuff. He's the one who wants to be in relationship with the church. Rather than curse us like the fig tree, he wants to get us back so he can be the faithful and true in our lives. He's the amen, the faithful and true, and he's the beginning of creation. And what that means there is that he's the one through whom creation came. And we see that in the book of John in the first verses. All things were made through him. So this is the one in which we have to do, and he is... is Amen, it's, it kind of harkens to the amen in the beginning, just like he said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. Again, how do we look at Jesus? He has to envelop everything. We have to come before him as he is before all things, he's after all things, and in the midst of all things, he's faithful and true. Hallelujah. He's good. 
And so he says, I know your works. And so this is where it can be kind of uh, heartbreaking because he's so good and yet uh, we're not. And yet he, he doesn't cast us out. He says, I know your works. Let me just read verse 15 and 16, what he said here. I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. You know, in Psalm 34, 8, it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. If you could just taste and see that the Lord is good, you would be on fire for him. You would be a fanatic for him. You would want to serve him. You know, the, the reason most people turn their backs on the Lord or most people aren't walking with the Lord in a hot or cold way that we're going to talk about, the reason most people are lukewarm is because they haven't really been tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. Maybe at some point you did and you were on fire and you were zealous and then kind of got off into this cruise control where you, you stopped tasting that he's good and it's just kind of like lackluster. The key to a fiery Christian life and a powerful Christian life is to draw into the goodness of God to taste and see that he is good. But here's the amazing thing is that the Lord, who's the amen, the faithful and the true and the beginning of creation, he also wants to taste and see that we are good in a, in a relationship sense. We are, none of us are good, but we get his goodness, and there are things that he can be pleased with, and he says that he is after us. He, so he's trying to taste and see that we're, he, you know, it's a mutual thing. We want to taste and see the presence of God in our lives. He wants the presence of us in his life, and yet we might have the right flavor, but we're not hot or cold, and he would rather us be hot or cold. So now, what does that mean? A lot of people have taught that he wants you on fire for the Lord or he'd rather you just reject the Lord outright instead of being indifferent. And I don't think that's, that's a good interpretation. I don't think by him saying he'd rather us hot or cold that he wants us either on fire or to totally reject him and to be uh, at least decisive about where we are. That's the, the common teaching in that. Um, but that doesn't make sense. I don't think Jesus wants anybody cold in that sense. So what does he mean here? I believe that he's talking about what I'm saying, tasting and seeing, having a relationship. He wants refreshment from us. He wants you to be hot, like, like a hot bowl of soup on a cold winter day. How refreshing to get that hot soup. Or when you've been working on a hot day and you're sweating everything, you have that cold, refreshing iced tea or lemonade or whatever, it's refreshing. Jesus, I believe, is saying, I want to be refreshed with your presence. I want to refresh you. I want to be refreshed. How can it be that we can, do you ever think about that? Can I really bless the Lord? Can I really refresh him? It says in uh, Psalm 149, verse 4, that the Lord takes pleasure in his people. The Lord actually takes pleasure in you when you're hot or cold, refreshing type, when you're not being lukewarm, I don't care much, and I'm just giving a nod to God. The Lord really takes pleasure in his people. And how many of us have gone into his presence and start to pray and start to feel like, I'm not worthy, and oh, Lord, why do you love me, and all this stuff like that. How, how many times have we gone in and think, I'm ready, Lord, I know you take pleasure in my presence. Well, I can't say that. That's kind of bold. Well, that's what the scripture said. The Lord takes pleasure in his people. Another place says the Lord delights in the prayers of his saints. The Lord wants to have fellowship with us. And we'll see that again. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Why is he knocking? He wants fellowship. He wants presence. 
just as we want the presence of God. We had the revivals happening this past month in the nation, people flocking to Asbury to get the presence of, of the Lord in the same way the Lord wants the presence of his people. And how often are we busy and going off all over the place and not spending time to have him be refreshed with our presence? And the amazing thing is he wants presence from people who are vomit-worthy. It's not that he wants the best of us or the, the saints, but the re whole reason he's addressing the church this way is he wants their presence. He wants the presence of those who are undesirable, vomit-worthy. So let's consider that. What's ma what makes them vomit-worthy? The church apparently has gone into a cruise control mode, and they thought they had need of nothing. They, were, they thought they were rich in everything, and they didn't have much zeal. They didn't depend on Jesus. I have need of nothing. I have not, no need of Jesus. I, don't, I can do this. I've got it. We, they got the machine running. It's in maintenance mode. Seems like things are okay on the outside, but it's all just a going through the motions. And the Lord doesn't want that. You know, you can have regular attendance at a church. You can speak all the Christian lingo, you know, the Christianese. You can have the plaques in your home in the, in the office. You can, you can wear the Christian T-shirts and, and go to the Christian concert. You can be a regular attender and everything, and it's all just routine. It's all just going through the motions. And the Lord doesn't want us just to be religious just to be going through the motions. He doesn't want us going through the motions. He wants us growing through the motions. There's a difference, right? You're going through the motions, this, this, but what is the point of the motions? The motions is to be growing, to be getting closer to the Lord. But when you're going through the motions or a church is going through the motions, they're just keeping the machine running and gone is the wonder and the awe. Never let the wonder and the awe of God depart from you. And, you know, all of us can easily let that happen. But when we recognize it, we say, oh, Lord, bring it back. I, show me your glory. But never let the wonder and the awe. That's when you're going through the motions. Gone is the wonder and the awe. And uh, versus, like I said, the nod to, nod to God. Well, it's, it's, it's Sunday. It's my turn to give God his stuff. I'll, I'll, God, but then the rest of the week. No, we need to re recognize in this day and age, when there are so many anti-God things going on and so many uh, wrong portrayals of the Lord and people mocking Christians and things, we don't pay attention. We have to continue to look at what Paul called the mystery of Christ, the mystery of the will of God in Christ. There is a great mystery that the Lord of all, the, the King and author of all things, the beginning and end, came and walked among us, dwelt among us in the flesh, and even would have relationship with us when we turned our backs from him, when we misunderstood him, when they spit and spat on him and they nailed him to the cross and we daily forget about him as if, well, we, can, we have need of nothing. We've got this. i got this going. Or if we do feel like we're needy, we look to other supports. We, we say, well, what's going to help me? And we don't look to God for the help first. I mean, it's okay to use whatever you got, but... The idea is we, we, we go to these things often before we even acknowledge the Lord. When we have a God of wonder and awe, who part of that wonder and awe is that he loves us and that he would even speak to a vomit-worthy church. We feel we're not good enough. Why should he care? Why should he speak to me? But he cares enough to give us the word 
of correction. It wasn't just to this church. It's to anybody who will read this, and that's what we're doing today. This word is an eternal word that applies to his people, the body. In each of the seven churches, it's a matter of, well, where does the shoe fit? I'll take it. So God is a God of wonder and awe, but going through the motions is not going to get us in that awe. We want to be growing in the motions. We want to stir up again what we first discovered about Jesus. And then perhaps going through the motions is forgetting to love others and love the Lord with a life-giving love. You know, you get life poured into you when you're pouring out to others. You get life poured into you when you are pouring out to others. Because you're so filled with the wonder and awe of God, you have a desire to share. You have a desire to serve. You have a desire to love. And so if your love meter is, is, is kind of fluctuating or going low, how do you get that back up again? You want to grow through the motions. The things we do are meant to draw us closer. How can I draw closer to the Lord? Maybe i got to get into the scriptures again and focus on those particular scriptures that speak of his love. Maybe i got to go to Psalm 149 again and say, the Lord delights in his people and let that sink in. But once that happens, then we can start really loving people. And unfortunately, a lot of, a lot of places, a lot of churches can get into this programs mode where they're just doing things because we're a church, we've got to do this thing, but it's got to be fueled by love. And then you can be going through the motions, not seeing Jesus in all your situations. And we could just talk, talk about that for a long time. We won't do that. But everything you're going through in life, God cares about, God is over you, and God can show you things, teach you through the trials, through the hardships. And God can give you strength when you're looking to him for those things. And um, Jesus said, be zealous and repent. That's, that's a church that has gotten lukewarm, makes you vomit worthy when you're not zealous. And, well, I don't want to look like a fanatic. Well, why do you want to look like a fanatic at the sports game? You see the people shouting and putting on makeup and looking like the tribes or whatever and bongo drums for all for a sports thing. I mean, we can be fanatical for the Lord. We don't have to be uh, unwise or anything like that. But, you know, let's get excited about God again. I like uh, some friends in Missouri said, let's make, God, let's make Jesus famous again. Let's just talk about him. Let's be, uh, you know, sharing him with people if we can. And, and well, I'm not good at that, and I, I don't feel so zealous for that. It's not something you force yourself. It's not something you have to feel guilty about. It's something that just comes out naturally when you are growing and when you are focusing on the love of Christ and the wonder and the awe and when you're trying to become hot or refreshing cold. Then it's just not something you have to do. It's something that you just get excited about doing. And not everybody's there. If you're not there, you don't feel condemned. Just enjoy the grace of God because it's all about grace and to receive that grace and to understand that you are accepted in the beloved. You are free in Christ. We are not a religion of works at going through the motions. It's all for growing in the motions. And you can grow to that place where you can be excited to share the Lord with people. And it's not a burden. And it's not something you're afraid of. It's just something that's welling up within you. Not there yet? You can be. You just look to that and be zealous for that goal. And God will give it to you sooner than you think when you're seeking him on that. So Jesus said to them, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. 
But here's the thing about that. That was not a proclamation or a prophecy. He said that to get their attention. He said that to wake them up. You remember last week we talked about the church was like sleepwalking. And sleepwalking is a dangerous phenomenon when you are asleep, but you're going through the motions again, and you, and you could end up you know, putting yourself in danger. And so we talked about that last week, but this is the wake-up call. It's kind of like when the Lord said, I never knew you. Depart from me, I never knew you. He said that many will say on the last day, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these things? He said, depart from me, I never knew you. That again was a wake-up call saying, hey, don't depend on these lifeless works or even these lifeless works that you're doing in my name. Even if it's good things that happen in my name, it's where's, where's your heart? Are you, are you zealous for me? Are you in awe and wonder? And are you enjoying the grace of God, the love of Jesus? And so he's saying, I, I want you to wake up. Otherwise... I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Now, you think, well, how is this a mercy that he's saying that harsh word to us? It's because he's saying it to us. He did not just curse us. He, he did not just leave us. And the idea is, man, this is, you know, we all seen the comedies where they drink something, someone says there's something poisonous, and they go, <laughs> and spit it out. That's kind of, and then it's like, no more of that. But Jesus doesn't just spit it out. He's warning them. He's giving the wake-up call, and he's given us time to make it right. And it's a matter of why would he do that? Why would he want to even get it right when it was so distasteful? And yet, he says later that he stands at the door and knocks. So you may feel like you've worn out the Lord's patience. You may feel like I am not got anything to offer him. I may not feel worthy, and yet... The Lord didn't leave this church with that, didn't just do it. He warned them in order to wake them up. It wasn't a prophecy or a proclamation. It was a wake-up call to get their attention. He wants the attention of the undesirables. And, you know, if it were me, uh, it's, you know, and anybody else probably would say, undesirable, that's enough, I'm out of here. And I wouldn't even give the, I'd just say, forget that. That's the love and grace and patience of God that he is still going, hanging out, wanting to wake us up. And later we're going to see that he's knocking at the door. But, you know, why would he do that to the undesirables? But let's look at verse 17. Because you say, I am wealthy, I'm rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. See, this is different from what he said to the church in Smyrna. In Smyrna, you might recall in, in Revelation 2, verse 9, he said, I know your works, the tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. So here is the exact opposite. He's saying you're, you think you're rich and wealthy, but you're actually poor, blind, and miserable. So it's the opposite of what he said to Smyrna. And so... Um, in Laodicea, they were obviously deceived. And this is the scary part about it. We can be deceived. This is a spiritual battlefield, and we can be deceived when we fall into ruts and things like that. So a very helpful passage that we ought to employ is 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, which says, Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you are disqualified? 
Now, this verse doesn't mean examine yourself to see, if, am I a Christian? It's speaking to Christians. He says, do you, not, do you not know that Jesus is in you? And I used to read that early on in my Christian walk, thinking, i got to examine myself. Am I really a Christian or not? And maybe I'm not, and I'd get worried and upset and everything. That's, that's not what this is saying. This is saying, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Are you going through the motions, or are you, are you exercising faith? Are you trusting in yourself, or are you trusting in certain means or things like that, or are you really trusting in the promises of God? Are you in the faith? When you come to church, are you in the faith? And there's no condemnation. It's not saying you're not a Christian. If, you know, it's only if Jesus isn't in you, you're disqualified. But Jesus is in you. Otherwise, you wouldn't be examining yourself. You wouldn't be caring. You wouldn't be uh, concerned about it. God has done something in your life that has made you concerned about your relationship with Christ. So it's a good idea to examine ourselves, say, well, am I walking in the truth? Am I... Am I uh, missing something? Is there something more that God has for me that I can be paying attention to? And, you know, they used to teach this in the old days. They used to teach, uh, when you go to bed at night, go review through your day and examine your day. What could I have done better and things like that? And I don't know that you have to get that far into it and think too much about it. But the point is, is sometimes we do need to think and judge where we are, examine ourselves. And I'm saying that in a culture that will never or habitually looks to other people, judges other people, but doesn't really ask of themselves, am I the problem? Usually there are debates online, there are, there are controversies out there, and people take stands, and it gets really heated in politics and things like that, and uh, always pointing the finger at what's wrong without looking at ourselves first and saying, am I part of the problem? That's just a humble thing to do. But unfortunately, we are in an age in which many people would rather play the victim. Everything that I disagree with, well, I'm the victim. They're coming against me, and, and, uh, and I, they don't agree with me, so therefore they're a threat. All of this stuff, victim mentality, it wouldn't hurt us to say, am I, am I the problem? And, you know, if we did that, the Lord comes down to those who are humble, and he lifts them up, and he exalts them. And we don't have to, like we said last week, we don't have to exact vengeance on the opposition. The Lord will vindicate. And that's faith. So are you reacting to a situation? Are you, you, somebody did me wrong, and I'm reacting, or am I acting in faith? Well, if I'm acting in faith, I'm, I'm going by what the Word says. I'm going to turn the other cheek. I'm going to... I'm going to trust the Lord to take up my cause, and he's going to do it better than I could. Well, I'm not here. Oh, finally heard an amen again. Um, yeah, it's, it's quiet, but uh, now these, these are harsh words spitting you out of my mouth, vomiting, but they're not the last words. And this is, this is where we, I really want to emphasize this point. In verse 18, he says, I counsel you and to buy, etc., etc. But just look at the words, I counsel you. They were miserable, blind, and naked, and yet he's still talking to them. I counsel you. And his love is so powerful and so true that he will want to counsel you when you have given him every reason to leave you, and yet he's still there wanting to get you into a better place. He's not trying to whip you into something you're not, He's trying to get you to be what you were created to be. And he still is counseling us today. He talks to us through the word. 
And the counsel he gives to Laodicea is the same counsel that he would give to any of us who are reading his word. Or it doesn't just have to be what he's saying to the churches here. Wherever you need counsel, he's still talking to us. He still talks through his book to us today. But we have to have ears to hear. A lot of people say, well, I read the Bible, didn't say anything to me. Well, were you listening? It takes more than a, just a reading it. and oh, You have to get yourself in a prayerful position where you're saying, speak to me, Lord. I want to know, does this apply to me? And, and I want to grow. I want to know how it applies to you and your worldview and everything. And so he gives the counsel. He's, that's, that's the second ray of hope. The first ray of hope is he's still talking to us. second ray of hope is he wants to not just talk to us, but counsel us to show us the way. And so he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed and the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. He wants you to be rich with gold refined in the fire. What does this represent but true faith that perseveres and pushes through? This is something that blesses the Lord. In 1 Peter 1, verse 6 and 7, do we have that? In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's something about a faith that goes through the fire is like the gold, and that is what makes you hot with the Lord. It refreshes the Lord to see that even though the world would have you turn one direction, you're going to continue in his direction, and that is something that when it is revealed, it is revealed to the praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And you say, well, that's a day that's coming. Yes, it's great as your reward. As you persevere in faith, you are looking to a day that's coming. You are not bound to the day that is. You are bound to something that's going to be everlasting and full of praise, honor, and glory in Christ, and he shares it with us. When Christ, who is our Lord, appears, you too will appear with him in glory. Amen. But when he appears, that's one thing. He appears even now when we persevere. Sometimes, I'll tell you what, some of the trials that we went through when we first got here with uh, some of the crisis that we went through were some of the hardest times um, trying to make sense of things. We had just got here and we just had all our, our world shook and everything. But there were some of the sweetest moments as well as some of the most despairing moments. It's like the Lord appears. He doesn't appear at every moment. Sometimes you have to go through that fire, but you get through a certain spot and he shows himself and he appears to you spiritually. I'm not saying I had a vision or anything, but... I'm saying that he reveals himself spiritually and, and he strengthens you and gives you something that you wouldn't have had otherwise because something about going through that trial made you like gold and you get to experience the riches of it. The Lord wants us to experience his riches and that's the beauty of it. The, our trials are not in vain. They are used for the glory, the praise, honor, and glory of Jesus Christ and he wants to share it with you and that's what makes you rich. And so that means nothing can threaten your, your wealth status. You may not have any money in your pockets, but if you have the praise, honor, and glory of Jesus Christ, you have more than Elon Musk or Bill Gates. You wouldn't want to trade places with them in a minute. 
fact, you know, you hear about the lottery winners that win all the, the money in the lottery, and you hear about all the troubles that come later. Money's not the answer. It's, it's the gold that's tested by the fire. And it's almost like the Lord is giving an invitation to you to be willing to suffer. Notice he's not heaping the suffering on you. He doesn't throw the suffering on you. He doesn't throw the crisis or the trouble. But he's saying, just like he said, take up your cross and follow me. Why did he say take up your cross? Because he knew that if you took up your cross, you'd also come out of the grave with resurrection, life, and power. But here he's saying, you you want some gold? Be willing to suffer. He doesn't heap it on you, but it's almost like he's inviting us. He's like, hey, I got something for you. Are you... Are you, uh, are you keen on this? you think you can handle this? It's like most people, if, if people don't know the Lord, they're just thinking, what, are you nuts? Suffer? I'm not going to do that. But he's kind of like saying, don't be afraid of this. In fact, there's something waiting for you through it. Um, and even in 2 Timothy 2.12, it says, if we suffer, we also shall reign with him. So what is he saying in this? He's offering us the highest place I mean, what, is, what can be higher than the rule and reign of Jesus Christ when the kingdom comes? And he's offering the highest place, the highest promise to those who seemed the lowest, the most undesirable. Neither hot nor cold, I'm going to spit you out. And instead of cursing him like the fig tree and leaving, instead he says, hey, I got something for you. And you know what? This is going to put you at the highest place. You know, even if... I could accept the undesirables, where it would be more in a human sense, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll tolerate you, we'll accept you. You know, it'd be hard enough for that. That's the grace of God. The grace of God will take in the undesirable and not just tolerate and accept, but lift up and say, hey, sit with me. Really, would you want the lowest and the least to sit with you when you were given the high privilege of being Lord over all. And that's what God does. And that's what he's offering to a church that was vomit worthy. And the next thing he counsels them to buy is white garments. And white garments are represented in the book of Revelation as righteousness, the righteous works of the saints. And and what we have to understand is that our righteous works are not really our works, but it's the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. I've said that salvation is a gift. If you want to be saved, you place your faith in Jesus. He cleans your sin. He forgives you of everything. Your past is new. You have heaven. There's no working for it. There's no, i got to do better. It's already been done. Jesus has provided salvation through the blood of the cross and the resurrection. And by faith, we receive it as a gift. Well, I can't be righteous. It's just so hard to be righteous. The righteousness of God is received by a gift as well. It's the gift of it's the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, Paul says in Romans 5:17. And with the mouth one confesses unto salvation, and with the heart one believes unto righteousness. It's the Lord's righteousness. And in Romans 13:14, he says, "Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust." You know, things just work better in your life when you're walking in God's righteousness. Again, it is a gift. You receive it. It's, it's, I've got it. It's not, I'm not trying to get righteous. I've got it. By faith, I've got it. That takes all the pressure off of me. And if I start thinking that I've got it, I'll walk in it. And I won't beat myself up when I mess up. 
Instead, I'll say, I'm glad it's a gift. I'm glad it's your righteousness and not mine. And that's the freedom that gives me the grace to continue forward instead of beating myself up. I messed up and i got to go back and start over. No, I put on the Lord Jesus Christ. I mess up. And instead of going back, I say, thank you, Lord, that righteousness is a gift as well. And your righteousness is given to me. It's not mine. It's not by my works, but I'm walking in your ways. And when I choose to walk in his ways, I'm not burdened. I'm not worried about every failure and mess up. I'm just seeking the purity of the Lord because I know when I'm pure, there's greater fellowship with God. There's greater hot and refreshing cold going between him and me. We're refreshing each other. And it's just simple it's simple, simple stuff that you see in life. When you drink a glass of water, you, you're refreshed by a pure glass of water. You don't want the dust bites and the, and the yuck and the dirty glass stuff like that. It's much more refreshing when it's pure. It goes both ways. We're refreshing to the Lord like that, but he's more refreshing to us. We receive power from on high when we're walking in his ways in white garments. The rest and righteousness of Jesus Christ upon us, when we put that on, and it's all a free gift. There it is. There is there is the communication. There's the it just works better. I've said before. How many of you have a, a computer that just goes because there's so much stuff on it, so much junk and malware on it stuff. But you get all that stuff off the computer and it works just fine. And it's just so much more refreshing. And now I'm talking about that with your life. Your life can be more able, more strengthened to handle the deals of the world, and more able to love freely yourself and your neighbor and the Lord when you're walking with those white garments. And he says, I counsel you to get those. And then he says, I counsel you to anoint your eyes with eye salve. Laodicea was a medical center, and they produced eye salve. And what would eye salve do? It's used to heal diseased eyes and help to sharpen their vision. And so this, I believe, talks about the illumination of the Holy Spirit. Like I said, you can't just read Scripture and just read it like a normal book. You need eye salve. You need to anoint your eyes with the vision of God. With You have to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal things to you. How you look at things in life, what's going on in the world, you look at them through the eyes of, of God. What does God say about this situation? The world says we're doomed. God says, I counsel you to buy gold tried in the fire. If you persevere, push through this, you're going to reign with me. This is your opportunity. You going to take it? I mean, the world is shaking. God says, I'm giving you a kingdom that can't be shaken. My, my bank account says I'm broke, but the word says, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory and by Christ Jesus. Yeah, I know it says that, but, you know, is it really for me? And this is where the I self comes in. The Holy Spirit will make this knowledge from plain knowledge of what the scripture says to revelation knowledge. Revelation knowledge, what is that? That's when you read it and something strikes you. I mean, yeah, you've read it a, a few times before, a hundred times before, but this time you're reading it and boom, I get it. That's it. And it strengthens you. It becomes yours. That's mine. So, yeah, I know it said that, but now it's like, that's my verse. I'm living on that now. That's what revelation knowledge is. That's what makes this book an exciting book. A lot of people have it on their shelves. A lot of people don't touch it. A lot of people can yawn when they're reading it. And there are parts that you have to plow through. But if you get revelation knowledge on even those parts, they become exciting. And it doesn't just come 
by a, a casual, lukewarm approach. It comes, to by, it comes to those who are hungry, who want to taste and see that the Lord is good, who pray and say, Lord, open my eyes, anoint my eyes with the vision of the Holy Ghost, that I may see things the way you see things, that I may receive the things that you want me to receive through your word and through your truth. So all these counsels, there are three things there, and he tells you to buy them, but the truth is you don't have to buy them. They're all freely given to us in Christ Jesus. They're all freely given. So why does he say, I counsel you to buy? What he's talking about is he wants you to value these things as if you would pay for any, any of them at any cost. I counsel you to pursue this. Buy this. Buy the truth and sell it not. What we buy, we put value on. So I think what he's saying is here, put value on this. But really, these things come as free gifts to us through the the glory of God, through the grace of Jesus Christ. He'll give you the eye salve if you ask him. He'll give you that white garment. He gives you his, himself to put on. And he'll give you the faith to make it through that trial if you're approaching him and asking him. He'll give it to you, but you need to value it. And like, there's nothing else I want but these things. And that's what I believe he's talking about here. So, you know, he's given us some of the harshest words in this book where else do you see harsh words from Jesus? Pharisees. The Pharisees, right. Now, what happened when he spoke to the Pharisees? He, he spoke to the Pharisees, woe are you, you hypocrites, and all these things. But there's a difference between what he speaks to the Pharisees and what he speaks to his people. And that difference is in verse 319 in Revelation. It says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. See, there it is. He, is. he didn't give that tender affection to the Pharisees. He gave them a stern warning. But when it comes to his people, he can speak harshly, but yet he gives that tender affection. Whom I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous and repent. How can I be zealous? Well, you'd be zealous knowing that he's talking because he loves us. The God of all creation loves us. The amen, the faithful and true, the beginning of creation. He loves us, and he's not just warning us like he warns the others, the outsiders. That's his love for the church. And it is finally uh, consummated in verse 20. In Revelation 3, verse 20, it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door... I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. In the book of, uh, well, where David wants to offer uh, you know, a blessing to Jonathan's household, he finds Mephibosheth and he invites Mephibosheth, who's a cripple, into his palace and he gives him a place at his table. He gives this this nobody a place at the table and it's a great honor to dine with the king and so when i look at this and think about how great an honor it would be for the lord to invite us to come to his table and dine with him he has a place for us it's like really me you know you want me to come and sit at your place but now look at how he condescends to us he's not inviting us to he's saying i'm going to come into your place he's knocking on the door it's like it's, it was an honor for Mephibosheth to be pulled up to this place 
But here, the Lord is saying, I'm coming into your house. I'm coming into your table. And I want to I dine with you. I want to sup with you. That's the old King James English, sup. You know, today we say, what's up? <laughs> yeah, some of you will get that later. Um, but anyway, he wants to dine with us. That's fellowship. You know, churches are real good at fellowship, eating meals together. And it's a great way to get to know people and to linger in their presence. And that's what the Lord wants to do with us. How can it be that he wants to come in? He's the one that's knocking on the door. You know, this verse is used in evangelism a lot to, to speak to unsaved people. The Lord's knocking at the door. He wants to come in. And I don't think it's wrong to use that. But you got to remember, he's speaking this to his people already. And so it shows that you can be his people and still have him outside the other side of the door. You want to be his people, the ones who hear his voice, who are not, who hear him knocking and say, come in. And not just to dine and sup, but to live and to be my continual uh, guest, not just my guest, my, my manager, my landlord. Come in and take over the whole place. You can clean it up better than I can. And that's what he wants to do. But here the point is, is he wants the presence. He wants fellowship. Why would he want fellowship with vomit-worthy people? Never let the devil talk you down anymore and say, you're not worthy, you're no good, you shouldn't expect anything from the Lord. I don't care how low you are or what you've done, you can't get much lower than vomit-worthy. And yet the Lord wants your presence. He wants your fellowship. He wants to make you what you were created to be. He doesn't want to cast us off. And he'll get glory out of it, and then he shares that glory with you. You become the rich when you've been poor. Amen. And so to him who overcomes, I will give to sit down with my father on his throne. Him who overcomes as I overcame. Jesus overcame. What did he have to overcome? Well, he overcame the cross. He overcame death. He overcame the sin and the temptation of the devil. He overcame the temptations to cast us all off, to call down fire from heaven. He overcame all these things because he had the power of love behind him and the desire for your presence and my presence, even when we looked totally undesirable and not worthy of it. That's his overcoming. So you may have some things set before you that look undesirable or and unworthy to deal with, but you know you need to deal with it, you know it's right, you want to make a stand for something, but it's not going to be easy, whatever it is, you can overcome as he overcame because he overcame for you, he will give you the power to overcome for him. And that's the beauty of our faith, folks. We, we are not just in a going through the motions, doing religious things, we're actually in motion with him, growing as he works in our lives and does the hard stuff for us if we'll just allow him, open the door, let him in, and allow that fellowship to fuel us up.